Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. A lot to get to here on a Tuesday uh, following a very historic night. In NBA history, I mean, uh, you know, let's welcome on uh, the Sporting Tribune's Grant Mona. Grant, you know, it was not a uh, night where I expected us to talk about the NBA. Again, we, we normally focus on, as the uh, the uh, crowd knows, the audience knows, Southern California, Las Vegas, Hawaii. So, again, we didn't have any, no Lakers, no, no, no Clippers, but it was mm-hmm. a historic night. Uh, Joel Embiid, franchise record, 70 points for the Philadelphia 76ers. And we talk about a, a franchise record for a franchise that has had Will Chamberlain. That's saying something. And then Carl Anthony Towns, franchise record, 62 points. We were uh, talking about it in the group chat while it was happening. Hmm. Um, I guess let's start here. I mean, what, what was the most impressive stat line to you? Uh, I think uh, Embiid going for 70 points against Victor Webinyama, who yeah. is probably one of the best rim protectors in the league. And this was a matchup that everybody was circling. This is finally the first matchup between Embiid and Webinyama. And it looks like uh, Embiid took it to heart because uh, he came out with a vengeance. And, you know, with Webinyama guarding the, the paint, guarding the perimeter, it's always a tough matchup. But Embiid has been so good this year, and you know a lot's being made about Embiid's free throws and how he gets to the line a lot. I do agree with that because he took actually twenty three free throws mm-hmm. to get to that seventy. But you know Joel Embiid is such a dynamic basketball player to where he can do it from the outside, he can do it from the inside. It's just crazy because we had another guy in Carl Anthony Towns who got sixty two. But they lost to the Charlotte yeah. Hornets, which is unbelievable yeah. um, because the, the Timberwolves are one of the best teams in the league. I think they're the one or two seed right now. And Carl Anthony Towns was benched down the stretch, yeah. and they had a home loss to a Charlotte team that is going to be in the lottery. So I think that's the biggest headline uh, out of these two performances. I know that Embiid went for 70. It seems like Carl Anthony Towns could have went for 80. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, on a, on a night that was Kobe Bryant's anniversary of 81, yeah. um, I don't know if that had any extra juice i didn't see any post-game quotes but um that probably gave them a little bit more juice to go out and do it i don't know why this year they could have done it in 2021 2022 i don't know why but um yeah it's crazy that there are two outcomes one was a bad home loss and the other was a franchise record that um they got a great win against the spurs against a very good victor webb and yama still as a rookie you know, when when I think back to that Kobe game, it was so surreal because that happened back in 2006. Mm-hmm. The Lakers at that point were kind of going in their transitional phase where, you know, Kobe was on that team. Phil had come back to coach that team. However, 
uh, you know, they didn't make the trade for Powell yet. They were, they were a playoff team, but they were a one and done first round team. And, uh, again, the game that I always go back to, Grant, is, uh, the game that they had, uh, probably one month prior to that, where, where Kobe outscores the Dallas Mavericks by himself, 62 yeah. to 61 of after th- three quarters. And again, the, the score wasn't 62 to 61. Kobe Bryant has scored 62 <laughs> points through three quarters. The Dallas Mavericks as a team has scored 61 points. The thing about that is that that Dallas team goes on to play in the NBA Finals against the Miami Heat and probably should have won the championship that season. So he was not outscoring a bad team. Uh, Phil Jackson um, was aware of the franchise record at that point, which I think was 70 or something along those lines. And so he had Brian Shaw, who was an assistant coach, former teammate of Kobe's. And he said, you know, go ask Kobe if he wants to, you know, stay in the game, a couple of minutes, get the franchise record, and then we'll take him out. The Lakers at that point were up by 20 some odd points. It wasn't competitive. Kobe looked at the score and he said, I'll get it when we need it in terms of when you, you know, I'll get it like the franchise mark. And Brian Shaw was actually like legit upset. Like he said, like Kobe, like, you're, like, like this is one of those like once in a lifetime games. Like you're not going to score 62 and three quarters. You're not going to get this, this, this chance again. And he said, no, no, no. We're good. Uh, you know, fast forward uh, to January 22nd, 2006. That was Conference Champ- Championship Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the focus around the country was on, uh, that was the Super Bowl where Seattle played uh, Pittsburgh. And so, you know, Conference Championship Sunday was, you know, like no one's focus on the Lakers-Toronto Raptors game. Right. And the number of, of people, um, who just didn't go to that game that you would have expected just was like, listen, it's, it's not a, a big game. And again, it, it's, it, it was a game that I, I just loved. Uh, I did a big story on it. It was one of the few times that I got Kobe for as long as I did. You know, it was, uh, we, 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 we did a story together in 2016 on the 10 year mark of that game. And, um, I think it was the only game that his grandma, Went to, but anyways, you know, now looking at this game from Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns, um, you know, listen, Joel got a lot of, I don't want to say flack, but I think like, you know, when he was named the most valuable player, uh, you know, listen, I I think Nikola Jokic deserved it. I think Joel Embiid is, is perhaps the first to admit, like, listen, you know, this, this guy was the best player in the world a year ago. What have you seen just watching games this this season? Have you seen anything different from Joel Embiid this season? Uh, again, he was the most valuable player a year ago. So, he, you know, you're talking about, like, arguably the best player in the league, certainly in the uh, top five. What is different about Joel this season? I think it's just the team and the system. Um, and not just that, but I think it's Joel Embiid's mentality. Um, after, even after this game, I think he said that, uh, it doesn't mean anything unless we win it all. And yeah. that just goes, like, in years past, you would have been like, well, I think in, during last year's MVP campaign, he was campaigning for himself through the media, um, saying that, you know, I, this is what I want. I want to get MVP. Now his mentality is more Kobe-ish, where it's yeah. like, hey, I want to win. I don't care about the accolades, the stats, because Joel Embiid has all the stats already, and I know that He's putting up the best stats of his career, uh, points wise. And I know that he's probably in the front running, uh, campaign to be a MVP again. But for Joel Embiid, his mentality this year has just been so much more mature. It's been so much more directed towards the winning. And 
you know, when you have a guy like Tyrese Maxey, when you have a team like the Sixers with Nick Nurse, um, Nick Nurse is an excellent coach. He won yeah. a, a title with the Raptors. Um, I knew he was going to be a, a great fit for that Sixers organization. Um, and that offensive system that they have where it's just run and gun and quick and, you know, dishing the ball around, it's very, uh, motion oriented. Um, it's beneficial for Joel Embiid. And there was a lot of flack with James Harden and Joel Embiid's fit. Um, and rightfully so. It was a little bit jagged at times in the playoffs but in the regular season that was a pretty good duo um this year he has tyrese maxey who has basically matched james harden's stats in terms of point scoring and getting the ball rolling he's still putting joel Embiid in his spots but joel Embiid, i think is just mature enough to know that he knows his spots he knows how to attack and you know there's a lot being made about how he can get to the line and how much he gets to the line that's what good players do. That's what James yeah. Harden did. That's what a lot of the, the elite players know how to get to their spots, get to where they want to score, and get to the line. And that's what Joel Embiid does. Look, I'm not going to fault the guy a lot for it. Sure, there's a lot of times where it just looks bad and it's bad to watch. But I'm not going to fault a guy that just gets the calls that he wants to. If If that's what he wants to get and if they're still calling it, so be it. Keep doing it. You know, it's much like a lot of people were talking about Austin Reeves last year and how he was drawing fouls and he how he was flopping. But if he kept getting the calls, he's going to keep doing it. So for Joel Embiid, I think it's a much more well-rounded game. It's a much more mature game. Um, and, and look, he's still such a dynamic player. He can score it from all three levels. So um, this really isn't too surprising. It, it's surprising, I think, for all of us just because it's a center doing this. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, saw, we saw Donovan Mitchell do it uh, last year, the year before that, and he had 70. But that's a guard. That's a guy that's scoring all the time, has the ball in his hands all the time. For a center to get 70 and for Carl Anthony Towns, another center to get 62. I think the rush, that is like the, the way the league is going. Yeah. Scoring and shooting from the outside, no matter what size, what length you are, what position you are. Uh, and we talked about the stat line. Uh, again, it was a stat line that had never been seen in NBA history before. 70 points, 18 rebounds, five assists. Uh, first time that we've seen a stat that line like that. Uh, and again, we, we, this was a season, by the way, already, we already had Giannis Antetokounmpo score 64 points against the Pacers. Um, obviously, um, Joel 70 tops that. Pounds of 62 is impressive on a variety of fronts, but, 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 but the one in particular is the number of three pointers he had in that game. And, um, what are you just get? Your sense again, uh, he went 10 for 15. And it, I mean, this is a center grid going 10 for 15 from three. The Lakers would pray if they had a guard <laughs> this season. What have you seen from Towns this season? That again, th- this is, uh, again, we know Joel Embiid is always in the most valuable player conversation, mm-hmm. but, but for, for Towns, he's had his moments. What have you seen from Towns? Yeah, and Carl Anthony Towns has actually been in trade talk. He was in trade talks yeah. before the season. He was thrown around all the time as the guy that they can get rid of if he was going to go to the Knicks. And this year, Carl Anthony Towns has been a seamless fit on that Timberwolves team. To see him shoot 10 for 15 from three, honestly, it's not that shocking because he just did win a three-point shooting contest recently. Um, and it's kind of crazy to say a center won the three-point contest. I mean, imagine saying that a decade ago or a decade and a half ago that a center was going to win the three-point contest. Um, but that's just kind of the player that Carl Anthony Towns is. I mean, 
you see the free throws. He was 10 of 14 from the, from the, uh, from the free throw line, 21 of 35 from the field, and he had seven turnovers. So the, the crazy thing about this, Arash, is that he had 62 and nobody else had even 20 on that team. Yeah. And they lost to a Charlotte Hornets team that is not good at home. So this one's a little bit more sour, but for Carl Anthony Towns, this is the kind of scorer that he is. This is like the peak Carl Anthony Towns that you can see play. Um, and a, a guy that regards himself as probably the best center shooter of all time. And he might have a case because he could shoot the lights out of a ball like a guard, like a forward, like a superstar. So, um, you know, to see him get 62, it is a little bit shocking, but it's not shocking to see the 10 of 15 from three. Um, I think the most shocking part about this performance is that they lost at home. And I know there's a lot of teams that do this throughout the season, especially the good teams. They have one dud here and there. Um, but if Carl Anthony Towns can even put up half of that, even maybe even a quarter of what he got tonight, um, the, the Timberwolves are going to be in good shape. But for him, uh, that, what a historic night. I mean, he had eight rebounds, um, but those ten threes, I mean, that just goes to show what kind of shooter he is. And honestly, this kind of shows how dangerous the Timberwolves can be. I mean, if you have a guy that can shoot 10 of 15 from three, and you also have Anthony Edwards, who had an off game, Rudy Gobert, who's a great interior defender, and guys around them that, that can play, that just goes to show what kind of team this Timberwolves team can be. Um, again, I think you know now is sort of like the... Um Countdown to the uh, trade deadline. We're already seeing that uh, that ticker on uh, television. You know, I, I don't know if you had a chance to hear D'Angelo Russell post game, but I, I think he's very much of the mindset. Um, listen, I'm hearing my name enough. I think there's a, a, there, there's enough smoke where I know that there's fire. Whether I get dealt or not, this is probably the end of my time here. He, he listen. When you get, when, I think that when it went south for the Lakers and it went south for a while, when I talk about with Russell Westbrook, when the reports come out that the team is trying to deal you, and again, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. We don't know what's happening in the locker room. But when it's pretty clear that like the team wants to deal you and LeBron, you know, you, you have to assume it's fine with that. Um, it, it changes the complexion of things. And, and so, like, the, the feel-good moment of last season when D'Angelo came and they went on that run, that's gone. And I, I and it's hard to get that back when, you know, Shams and Woj and all these people yeah. are basically saying, listen, they're trying to ship you out. And it's a lot of the guys, well, I mean, D'Angelo's like the main guy, but you're hearing, like, Rui's name come up to it. These were the two guys that kind of came in and, and changed the complexion of the season what do you think the Lakers do? And can it, when I say salvage this season, you know, I mean, can it get them into uh, the playoffs again, I guess? Yeah, look, I always had faith in this team. And it's just kind of crazy how it's all unfolded, especially after the in-season tournament. And like you mentioned, you know, after the game, it looked like D'Angelo Russell was emotional. I mean, there were videos of him on the sideline during the game, towards the end of the game, when they, you know, they were up by 20 plus against the Blazers, him and Austin Reeves sitting together, and it looked like D'Angelo Russell had tears in his eyes. And yeah. even in his post game interview with Mike Trudell, you know, he was kind of reminiscing about, you know, his childhood and how he never dreamt of passing a ball to LeBron James, and you know how he loves being a Laker, and it just felt like kind of like a send off. It was just such a because it's crazy, Arash. You. 
you have a Lakers team that loses, you know, to bad teams this yeah. year, and they've had a, a pretty bad stretch. And even throughout all those losses, the team was pretty upbeat, right? Yeah. And after this blowout win against the team at home, the vibes were at an all-time low. I mean, there were reports yeah. about the locker room being pretty silent. Um, D'Angelo Russell, again, like reminiscing about his time with the Lakers, saying like, oh, I loved playing with this team. There's, you know, Austin Reeves and LeBron having a big hug after he came out. Rui Hachimura putting up the LA, but not even smiling when doing so. It just looked like, it's, it looked like these guys are just going through it right now. And like yeah. you said, with the rumors swirling, it is never easy. And this is, it's, it's hard to watch, you know, especially from the outside because I, I can just tell that D'Angelo Russell loves being a Laker. Yeah. When he came over in that trade last year, it was like he got reinvigorated. He wanted to bring fun and life and energy back to the Lakers and he did so. So to have your name just being thrown around, whether he's traded or not, that weighs on players, and I don't think people realize that. Is and and it's crazy because D'Angelo Russell is playing fantastic basketball right now. Um, you would have never known by the way he's talking after the game. It's just so weird to see the guys like this, and it, I feel like this is what it always comes down to around this time of year with the Lakers. And it, it sucks to see these guys be like this because they're the life and the energy. And and I don't think that a Rui and D'Lo trade for, say, a DeJounte Murray or a Bruce Brown. I don't think that's ideal. I just really don't. I think you may have another Russell Westbrook situation where you trade away depth and you try to bring in that one key star and it just doesn't work. So I'm very curious because the names that have been thrown out in rumors, DeJounte Murray is the best one. And I still don't think that's that's going to move the needle to get them to a contender status. Yes, it'll get you into the playoffs, but... I just don't think a Bruce Brown or a Terry Rozier or, you know, a DeJounte Murray will get you into that Nuggets, uh, Wolves, Thunder, Clippers, Suns kind of mix. I think that it takes a little bit more than that. So oh, it's just going to be such a weird time from here until February 14th, whenever it is, yeah. like the middle of February. It's a great point because, you know, none of these names in my mind move the needle. And when I, when I talk to you and other people within the league, it, it doesn't move the needle for them. Right. Like, and again, that, 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 that was the big thing, you know, when, when we, um, and again, I remember it was a year ago after, you know, I was still in San Francisco. It was after the Cowboys played San Francisco. And then you kind of, this is how you kind of tie these moments together. Like, like, like the day after the game, I think, uh, the Lakers make the trade for, um, Hachimura. And I said, I, I like the move. It doesn't quite move the needle yet. Then I'm in Phoenix for the Super Bowl and they make the deals that they made in terms of D'Angelo and Jared Vanderbilt and those models. And I said, okay, I, I like this team. I mean, I don't know how right. far they'll go. I did think that they were a playoff team. Uh, certainly didn't think they, they would go to the Western Conference Finals, but I, I said, I like this team. Uh, I have not liked Grant any of the deals that, that have been discussed. And here's why. I think you had to go for the Hail Mary a year ago just because that uh, roster did not prove that they could win together. Right. This, the core group is, this is what's so frustrating about this season is that we have seen them have success. And I cannot begin to tell you what it means when a group of players have the run that they did. When they come together late in the season, and they win a first round series against Memphis and they dethrone the defending champions and basically put them. That was the end of the Warriors run. Yep. And then again, listen, they, they go up against the best team in basketball, the best player in the world. And like things happen. Right. But like they got to the Western conference finals and for, it, it, 
we know what the what the ceiling for this team is. I think that they could get back to the Western Conference Finals. To 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 trade that away for Dejounte Murray, I, I, that's frustrating for me. I mean, it, have you seen before we close out this segment? Is there a deal that you've seen that would move the needle a little bit? I don't think so. If if it was a deal, it would probably would have been for. Pascal Siakam, and that one you don't have the assets. Yeah. Number two, it would have been for Zach Levine. Again, you don't have the assets, and I don't think the Bulls are trading him anyways. So those are the only two guys on the open market that you can look at and say, okay, that may move the needle. I just don't think DeJounte Murray... I mean, look, D'Angelo Russell's putting up the same stats offensively as DeJounte Murray anyways yeah. over the past five games. And Bruce Brown is a connector. Terry Rogier is a, a fourth piece on a team. These aren't guys that are, are third stars, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that's what the Lakers probably should look for, but there's nothing out there. So I, I'm with you. I, I don't see how trading away good depth and chemistry guys for a star that, a, a star, I guess, an all star, former all star, w- would move the needle for them. I just don't see it. Yeah. That'd be, it's, it's just, um, again, I, I, I wasn't one of those who went into the season thinking that they had done enough to win the uh, championship, but I did think that they had done enough, you know, to not be in this uh, play in tournament, uh, not yeah. play in tournament, you know, yeah, like the, the play in game where you're like the ninth, tenth seed yeah. where you're, you know, so we'll see. All right, let's leave it there for now. When we come back, we'll be joined by Brandon uh, Deutsch and uh, talk a little bit more about the Lakers, Clippers, and Conference Championship Sunday when we come back right here on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the bet in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big. We go all night. And here, everyone is invited to get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Still clown with the underground when we come around. Welcome back to the Rocks Marconsi Show, presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mighty Air 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California, 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Uh, just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment or want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas, or Hawaii, call our hotline 310-400-0340. Uh, let's head back out to the Circus Sports Guest Hotline and uh, joining us now for the Sporting Tribune, Brandon Deutsch. Also joining us once again, Grant Mona. Uh, Brandon, we, we uh, talked with Grant in the first segment about a very historic night in the NBA. Joel Embiid, 70 points. Carl Anthony Towns, 62 points. Um we talked a lot about this last season, and I asked Grant about it. What have you seen from Joel this season that has really, again, he won the most valuable player, so he was the best player in the league a year ago, at least during the regular season. What have you seen from him this season? Yeah, I, I think without Harden, um, 
it, you know, it's helped him uh, a little more, which we didn't think, you know, Maxie's more of an off ball guy that needs the ball in his hands constantly. They get the MD, the ball more, um, and he's able to just go in and get to the line. I just think he wants it more. And, you know, he's ducked a lot of good teams. Um, you know, there's no sugarcoating that. Uh, but, you know, if he misses a few more games, he won't be eligible to win the MVP because he's missed like eight. Anytime they play the Celtics or the Heat or, you know, he's always ducking those games. Still impressive for 70 points, but I mean, 24 free throws. Are you kidding me? The guy is the whistle of Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I mean, it's like <laughs> ridiculous. And I, I hate to say it. I mean, his player efficiency rating, you look at the advanced stats. I mean, he is one of the highest player efficiency ratings in the history of basketball. He's, he's playing great. I just, we all know this is not going to translate in the playoffs, <laughs> you know, and he didn't deserve the MVP last year. This is a much better year. Like if he wins this year, it's hard to dispute it considering the numbers, you know, even though Grant and I both are not fans of the way he plays, he's probably the worst superstar to ever watch play the game of basketball just because, you know, he goes to the line so much and that's what he does. He tries to get foul calls. Um, but again, I don't think he deserved it last year. I think it should have been Jokic, but this year you, he has a much better argument and he's about plus 120 on the books to win right now. So, which is crazy. He's the prohibitive favorite. Um, you know, I, it's still impressive. 70 points is 70 points, you know? Brandon, you were praying that a Lakers guard could go 10 of 15 from three. <laughs> that is what Carl Anthony Towns did last night in scoring 62 points. That was the uh, stat line that stuck out to me. 10 of 15 from three. Uh, Grant and I touched on how, you know, they were talking about him potentially being traded. I mean, this is a superstar. What have you seen from Towns this season? Um, you know, it, it's difficult because, you know, sometimes he looks like this amazing player and he takes nights off a lot of the time. Um, last year was a huge regression from his two previous seasons. Part of that was adjusting to playing with Gobert. Um, they seem to be playing very well together this year, but another, another portion is the emergence of Anthony Edwards, who is their best player. But, you know, Cat had just one of those games where he was in his zone and Edwards just kept dishing him the ball. I mean, he only had nine points. Um, at 11 assists, all to Carl Anthony Towns, pretty much. Uh, it was impressive. Uh, he was benched, which was weird, uh, with three <laughs> minutes to go. I mean, the guy had 62 <laughs> points. He was benched. Um, I don't get that at all. Call an extra timeout, get him back in the game. He's I think I know why. Is there like a disconnect between Finch and, and no. Towns? No. Actually, after the game, Chris Finch was actually laying into Carl Anthony Towns and the Timberwolves because he said that all they were trying to do was get the stats, get to, to get to the seventy, and they really weren't playing their brand of basketball. So maybe that's why he sat him. Mm. That sounds like. Well, it. hasn't he scored seventy points before? No, he scored no, no, sixty no. something. He scored, he scored sixty he scored before, the- I believe. No. It was like a few years ago. I think he scored like 60-something points. I thought it was close to 70. I know Book got 70. I know Mitchell's gotten 70. And now Embiid's gotten 70. I don't know about Giannis. I think Giannis's career high is 60-something. Yeah, I think he got that this year. 64 this season, exactly. Yeah, well, that was, was also the, the big issue with the with, with the ball, right? <laughs> he, yeah, he, he wanted the, the basketball. Oh, my God. But it was, I want you know, to see them play the Pacers, by the way. Oh, that yeah. would be an excellent it's series. It would be amazing. Uh, but, no, it was, uh, you know, it was amazing that it, that that Joel seventy was a franchise record only because the Sixers had Wilt when he was, in my view, at the peak of his career. Uh, again, with the hundred point game, I think he was with the Warriors, or again, not with the uh, Sixers. So, franchise best with the with the uh, Sixers last night. Seventy franchise best with the Timberwolves was sixty two. Again, on the same 
date, January 22nd, that Kobe had his historic uh, game. Um, all right, guys, going to kind of switch gears now. And we're, we're going to talk a lot about Conference Championship Sunday uh, this week, but uh, so just because we did not have Brandon on. Grant, let, let, let me get your thoughts on this, and then I'll get Brandon's thoughts. Kansas City just seems to be a team that, like, if there's a switch, like they they flip that switch in the uh, postseason again. There, I think Baltimore is the best team, but you you know that this is going to go down to the wire. There, there's no way, in my view, that this is going to be a blowout game. The line is three. Um, I think that'll maybe go down or like up a half point, but that, I, this is going to be a very good game. Um, your thoughts on that one to start only because if they were going up against any other team and any mm-hmm. other quarterback, I think it wouldn't be a dispute. And we touched on this uh, since he became a starting quarterback in 2018. Patrick Mahomes has either gone to the Super Bowl or lost in in um in um overtime. So either he's going to the Super Bowl or he's losing, but he's losing in overtime. Grant, your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I, I just think that like you said, if the Ravens were playing literally any other quarterback and any other coach, I think we'd be saying, Oh, the Ravens are going to the Super Bowl easy. But now there's that thing in the back of their head where it's like, look, Mahomes and Andy Reid and that whole team they just know how to win, and it gives me the same vibe that the Patriots gave me when they were just every year. It seemed like, oh well, th- this is the end of the Patriots run. Like this is they'll finally you know have to rebuild a little bit, retool, and give. And then they're in the AFC Championship, or or then they win the Super Bowl. It's the same vibe with this Chiefs team, and Patrick Mahomes is entering that Brady kind of. I'm not going to say he's going to get eight, seven rings. I'm not saying that, but he's getting into that territory where it's like you fear that team and you fear him, no matter what the circumstances are. Whether you're on the road, bad weather, at home with a worse team, it doesn't matter because you have Patrick Mahomes, and just like you just had Tom Brady, and you expected them to win. Um, I don't expect them to win, but again, I didn't expect them to win against Buffalo either. So, yeah. uh, this is like the line is right. It's going to be a close game. I think the Ravens are still the better team and I think they'll come out with a win. Um, but the Chiefs are much like the Warriors every year where it's <laughs> like, Hey, they're finally done. And then they get to the second round or then they get, you know, Steph Curry's going off. So, um, yeah, the Chiefs, they should not be taken lightly. This is a team that me and Brandon have said. When Travis Kelsey is on, which he was against Buffalo, they are a very good team. And when you have at least one guy, Mark, uh, Marquez Veldez-Scantling, he stepped up. They He played a great game. That's what you get, and that's what happens when they play well. They play well, and they can get to an AFC championship. They can get to a Super Bowl. So I'm not ruling them out, but I just think that the Ravens, talent-wise, um, is going to overweigh them. Brandon, your thoughts yeah. on this one? Yeah, I don't think the Chiefs are going to win this game. Um, I mean, in fact, it shouldn't be that close, but it will be. Um, you know, once they get in playoff football is always relatively close, especially in the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be similar to that Bills game where it's, you know, a lot of scoring in the first half. I think the defenses are going to sure that up. Um, you know, Spagnuolo is a great defensive coordinator. Mike McDonald's did a great job with the defense for the Ravens. Um, they're elite on all three levels, uh, unlike the Chiefs. The difference here is uh, Kansas City has a really weak run defense, um, really weak, great pass defense. Ladarius Sneeds had the best season of his career, uh, by the way, the cornerback for the Chiefs. And McDuffie's been good, too. The run defense, I mean, James Cook averaged over five yards a carry. 
Lamar should just run the RPO the whole game. Like, and if they try and key in on him running and scrambling or Gus Edwards going up the middle or Justice Hill or Dalvin Cook even, then you just hit Zay Flowers on a slant or likely on a post or, you know, behind the linebackers, um, you know, maybe a deep shallow or something like that. And at the end of the day, I just think that's going to be too much to overcome. I only, I think the only team that can beat the Ravens is the Niners left. Uh, I don't, again, we saw that. I don't think that was the, that, that was the Niners best game, obviously, earlier on in the season. I do think if they played again, it would be a much tighter game. And I think they have the personnel at least to compete and, you know, have a chance. I don't think any other team could beat them. And anybody's saying like, oh, if the Lions go, no one should want the Lions in the Super Bowl because the Lions will get smacked. <laughs> they will get smacked. I'm telling you right. They will get smacked. Like instead, I mean, they're just not the 49ers. Their secondary is terrible. Is the 49ers secondary terrible? It's not amazing, but it's not the Lions. Um, I mean, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes will be putting up 40 points on the Lions of the Super Bowl. So I'm just saying that I, I think Baltimore is going to win easy though. And I think Detroit SF is a toss up. Vegas knows a thing or two about everything, and it's 89% of bets are in, are Lions plus seven. They made the line intentionally a lot in San Francisco's favor, which means I think Vegas is expecting kind of a blowout on San Francisco's part. Well, um, so you know, I, I, and Brendan, I, I want to get your, your thoughts here because I, I would think that you would agree with me. Debo Samuel, his ability to not only play but be Debo will play a massive role. And to, to, to be honest, I, I didn't, despite the fact that I think you'll agree that Green Bay outplayed San Francisco for the majority of the game, I didn't have a problem with the result because, like, listen, Detroit, uh, Green Bay, if you can't beat San Francisco without Debo, you don't deserve to win. So I'm happy that's it's, that San Francisco won. Debo right now, according to the team, is 50-50. Let me just play out the scenario that he does not play or that he is less than 50%. Can San Francisco, without Debo, win this game? Uh, absolutely. Um, they just have to lean more on Christian McCaffrey. It just becomes a McCaffrey. I think it's a McCaffrey game regardless. I know the Lions are pretty stout against the run. The issue here is um, you really want Debo to play because the Lions' secondary is horrendous. So if Debo even plays as a decoy and runs routes, let's, let's say you're not even throwing it to him. You're just like, okay, every once in a while he gets maybe two or three passes. That would be ideal if he gets two or three, four catches and just runs those routes that you think he's a threat. Because then Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and everybody else are going to be wide open. That's how bad the secondary is for Detroit. Um, they need him. Uh, it's, it's really tough because then they key in on Ayuk. If, uh, if Debo's out, they key in on Ayuk. And then the run game becomes less of a threat because, you know, you can't do play action as much. And then you're putting in Chris Conley and Ray Ray McLeod. And other than, they're not the most talented guys in the world. I love those guys to death. They're, they're, you know, they work hard, but they're not Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk. So I do think it changes, but this narrative that Detroit, there is so, and this is so good for the 49ers, by the way. Um, that was the game I think that they that they played the worst in. I don't think they're going to look worse than that. I don't think you, they can look worse than that. I don't think it's possible. Maybe it is, but I doubt it. Um, and now everyone's like, oh, Brock Birdie's not that good. He's this, and they're getting really mad about that. And then everyone's picking the Lions to win straight up. So I think this is excellent for the 49ers as players because I think they're going to come out motivated simply because last week everyone picked the 49ers. Like no one was picking the Packers. Some people picked the Packers, but let's yeah. be real. No yeah. one was like, no one thought the Packers were going to win that game. People legitimately believe the Niners will lose this game. They haven't lost a home playoff game since 2012, by the way. 
um, which is crazy to say. I always said this the whole seat, the whole season, they need that one seed and it's really going to be tough. To, and if you told me six weeks ago that the, the, te- the, the only thing between them and the Super Bowl is Jared Goff on the road <laughs> and on an outdoor stadium, I would a thousand percent say, yeah. And I truly expect Jared Goff to throw two interceptions in this game. I really do. He's been great. He's been too great that you're suspicious. And he's yeah. like, he's super discounted Matthew Stafford where, you know, you get suspicious about Matthew Stafford if he goes three games without a pick, even though he's much more talented than Jared Goff. But you get really suspicious if Jared Goff doesn't throw a pick for two straight games, any which turnover. he hasn't, yeah. which he, any turnover. And it's going to be about trench play, Arash. But I really think regardless of Debo, if he plays or not, I think the Niners have a really good chance, and I, I think they should really be motivated to win this game. And I think Vegas is indicating that they think the Niners are going to come out much sharper from the start. Really quick to your point, Brandon, uh, Baltimore has played both of these teams playing in the NFC Championship, and as badly as they beat San Francisco 33-19, to they whooped upon Detroit 30. 30- Eight to six, thirty-eight to six. So, and people uh, want Baltimore, Detroit in the, in the Super Bowl. That wouldn't even be a good game. Yeah, uh, you know. And, and I know we 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 touched on this, but if San Francisco is healthy, your thoughts, and if Debo is either not playing or not himself, your thoughts on this game? Can Detroit come in there and continue this run? Sure, they can. And I know that a lot of Detroit fans will be there. It's not going to be a 90-10. I think it'll be probably 70-30 Niners-Lions. Um, but like Brandon said, I think just having Debo Samuel active, and if he even plays half of the snaps, if he plays at 20-30%, that is a win for the Niners. That is something that they can say, look, we have that in our back pocket. If we need a fourth and one, fourth and two, we have Debo active. We can give it to him on a jet, jet sweep in a motion. That is kind of what they didn't have in their back pocket. I know you have CMC, but they use Debo Samuel in a lot of ways. He's like their Swiss Army knives. So to have him even active in any snaps, even if you utilize him in short uh, down territory, that's a win for them. And I think for the Niners... They should be able to control this game from the start. Like Brandon said, I don't expect them to be playing timid, skittish in the first half, you know, battling 10 to 10, 10 to 7, 13 to 10, whatever it is. I expect them to come out with fire. Look, like Brandon said, this is a team that wanted to be here one year ago. This is what they wanted. They wanted to have the one seed at their place with everyone relatively healthy and playing for a chance to go back to the Super Bowl. This is the the moment that they want. And I know Kyle Shanahan has those guys motivated, but I don't think they need any more motivation. I think this is a team that's hungry. They want to finally get Kyle Shanahan a ring. And I think that, yes, I understand that the Lions are a good football team. They have a lot of things going for them. But Jared Goff, like Brandon said again, he is turnover prone when he's on the road. They haven't played on the road yet in the playoffs. They played two home games. He's going to be on real grass and he's going to be outdoors. It's not going to be in a 72 degree controlled climate anymore. So I expect the Niners to win this game. I don't expect, I expect the Lions to cover though. I don't think that it's going to be as much of a blowout as, as people say. I, um, go ahead. By Brian. the way, I said Vegas knows a thing or two. 80 per, 89% of the money is on plus seven. And I absolutely agree with that. By the way, I don't, I don't think this close. is like, like I, the way they played against Green Bay. Like, yeah, I expect them to start better, but seven points in a championship game is crazy in my opinion. Either way. 
Uh, last thing, and we touched on this in the previous segment, Brandon, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Listening to D'Angelo Russell post game and just the vibe, um, it seems like he thinks, and maybe he wants, uh, it's trending in the direction that he will be traded. And it's just so, it's weird to me as I think back to our conversations a year ago, how they made the deal for D'Angelo and Rui and that flipped the season. And now, like, me and Grant don't think that these trades will move the needle. Your thoughts again? I'm sure you heard D'Angelo post game essentially just yeah talking about the Lakers of the past tense. Your thoughts there? I think it's sad, honestly. Um, you know, he he's he's one of the only he's the only Laker that's played with Kobe on the team yeah. as a Laker as a Laker. Um, you know, he has roots to the Lakers. I think he loves being a Laker, and it's sad. He's an emotional guy. You know, he's not like a He'll show his emotions both ways. I think he's a very moody guy and that's completely fine. Like he'll be up, he'll be down, he'll be, you know, and that's, that's kind of the beauty in his, in his, you know, what he can do on the basketball court too, is when he's hot, he gets confident and he can't miss when he gets cold though, you know, but he hasn't been cold in a while. And I, I, Russia just doesn't make sense to trade him at this point. We were, this is the weirdest season in Lakers history, in my opinion, because it doesn't, doesn't even feel like an NBA season. Like, it just feels like, okay, we went to the Western Conference Finals last year. This just doesn't feel like an NBA season. It's just weird. Uh, I don't think they should. It feels like it for Grant, though, huh? How about the Clippers? (laughs) Well, the Clippers, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, I don't think the Lakers should make any moves. DeJounte Murray does not make you a championship contender. And D'Angelo Russell's been your best offensive player for two weeks. So uh, that's the last guy I'd trade. And the 2029 pick is going to mean a lot. You don't just give that up for DeJounte Murray. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my thought, and Grant agreed. DeJounte Murray, it very, like, he doesn't move the needle for me. Like, that, that, that is not the, for whatever reason, when, when I saw the moves that they made a year ago, and I wrote this column that day, and I, it wasn't true. I, I said, the Lakers and Celtics could meet in the NBA Finals. And for a few days there, that was the Vegas favorite. If they made this deal, it would move the needle. I think that they would be in the play-in as the 10 seed or 9 seed, and I just, um, Grant, real, real quick. I mean, and so, Brandon and I agree. Keep this team together. Can this group contend or go on a run if you keep them together? Yes, and that's what I thought before the season too. And I just don't think that pairing, you know, getting rid of three for a one. It's. I, I said this in the first segment. It's going to be like a Westbrook trade, right, Brandon? It's just going to be like that because yes. they traded away good depth and guys that were playing pretty well together, and maybe they had one or two bad stretches, and then everything. You know, you panic move. You cannot make a panic move right now, especially like Brandon said. That twenty twenty nine first round pick is going yeah. to be crucial because the Lakers There's three don't have games much out time. of the six seed, right? Three. So yeah. don't do a panic move. None of the guys that are rumored to be a Laker can move the needle right now. Just calm down a little bit. Yeah, uh, crazy. And again, LeBron out for tonight. Lakers, uh, Clippers, eight oh, and a half point favorite uh, Clippers. Uh, we'll uh, talk about that when we're back uh, tomorrow. But listen, it, it's fun. It's fun. I love this time of year. Just hope the Lakers don't make a trade they're going to regret. But we'll, uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll be counting down the days. That is all the time we have for today. Let's do it again tomorrow. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.